0: Good morning. Welcome to our Bible class for this Lord's Day. My thanks to Brother Darrell for taking the class for me Wednesday night. We are back in the book of Colossians in chapter 2 this morning. Colossians chapter 2. This great epistle was written by Paul. It was really from God through Paul to the church at Colossae. And from start to finish, it exalts Jesus Christ as the preeminent center of our faith and he who is the means of our individual salvation. Chapter 2 after prayer, Colossians chapter 2. Heavenly Father, we express to thee our praise and thanksgiving for this time to focus on thy word for our good and thy glory, and to refresh and enrich our faith in Jesus Christ, who died for us. In his name we pray, amen. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. One distinct impression that I get right away, not only from this section in Colossians chapter 2, but from everything Paul wrote that we have a record of in the New Testament, Paul took his work and his writing seriously as a person-to-persons responsibility that he had before God. It wasn't just a job. You get up in some uncomfortable place, 8 o'clock on Monday morning, you finally work your way out of whatever bed you might have for that night. And you scramble around to find your parchment and your stylus and you say to yourself, well, this is Monday morning. I could sleep in two more hours, but I've got to write this letter to the Colossians. And then you start writing and you stop every now and then. You're distracted and and you go back and write a little bit more. It's my job. That wasn't Paul's attitude at all. That wasn't his attitude at all. He was deeply concerned about God's people. It was a great conflict or struggle for him to be absent and yet be aware that there were false teachers in Colossae doing their destructive work. It bothered him. He was troubled for those in Colossae and Laodicea. He was bothered about people who'd never seen him face to face and who may not have recognized his name and he didn't know their name but he struggled for them worried about them if you have the niv i want you to know how much i'm struggling for you and those at laodicea and for all who have not met me personally this is the heart of the apostle paul and it ought to be the heart Of every child of God. You see in Paul here this noble anxiety. Can I use that phrase? This noble anxiety, this eagerness to help people and sound a warning that truth might prevail over error in Colossae and in Laodicea. That's the main idea of this section I've just read, and I hope all of us can see that clearly. Before we now get into the details, Paul is deeply concerned about brethren in Colossae and Laodicea who might be approached and deceived by false teachers. Now, what did he want for them? Verse 2, "...that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love," to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Let's consider verse 2 in the context here and in view of the danger of false teaching. That is a primary theme in the Colossian letter. And consider what he addresses here. When false teaching is not resisted, When it is allowed to have free passage among brethren, it begins to work among brethren. And as false doctrine does its work, you cannot have the good things listed in verse 2. Look at verse 2 and make a list there. Hearts encouraged being knit together in love, attaining to all riches, and the full assurance, the understanding, the mystery of God in Christ. False teaching is destructive of every single one of those blessings identified in those words and phrases in verse 2. So Paul wanted the brethren in Colossae and Laodicea to know the truth and be so committed to it that they would stand against any human religious intrusion into their faith and not be deceived by it so that they would be encouraged, knit together, attain spiritual riches, and enjoy full assurance of the understanding of the mystery of God in Christ. These are things Christians enjoy in Christ, identified there in verse 2. But if false teaching is allowed to pass and enter and come on through unchecked and unanswered, there is a loss of these things in verse 2. So we put this together now. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Paul wanted the brethren in Colossae to have all these blessings described in verse 2. He didn't want them to be deceived with plausible words. And so he wrote this letter to them, not because it was on his calendar Monday morning or because it was in his job description, but because he loved God and he loved God's people. He knew there was a threat. He knew teaching needed to be done. Questions or comments? Colossians 2, 1 and 2. When we stand on the truth God has given us, and when we review this truth throughout our lives, cherish this truth, and live by this truth, we have the benefits described in verse 2. We are encouraged, we are knit together in love, we attain to the good, rich, nurtured faith that God provides through the Holy Spirit and the writings of the Testament. The Spirit gave, and we have full assurance of understanding. Verse 3 is another statement of what God want, uh, what God provides in Christ. It's stated this way in very beautiful language. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's what God does for us in Christ. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The word hidden used in this verse doesn't mean you can't find it. Doesn't mean it's lost. It means located and protected in him and only in him. In false teachers, what you find is deception, destruction, Apostasy, spiritual poverty, the wiles of the devil. That's what you find in false teachers. Contrast. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The false teachers boasted of having some secret way to reach some higher spiritual level. I've mentioned this to you before. It is not altogether uncommon for somebody to approach you in our world today and acknowledge that you have the New Testament and you believe in Jesus Christ, but say, I've got something a little more for you. I've got this little secret. I've got this special, special knowledge that I'm willing to impart to you, and it'll bring you even closer to God than Christ was able to bring you. Well, what you need to do after having a crucial conversation is shut the door when those kind of approaches are made. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all, everything you need, everything I need in Christ. The false teachers boasted of having something supplemental, a secret way to reach some higher level, of spiritual existence. They claimed to have wisdom that Christians needed to be better than Christ made them be. Paul expressed the truth about Christ in chapter 1, and now he points them to Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom, of knowledge. All you need can be found in Christ. Everything you need to be right with God, to have the kind of life you ought to live, It can all be found in Christ. Later, we're going to come down to verse 9. We'll come down to verse 9. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You are complete in him. So no man, no group of men, no organization, no new system or creed can offer you anything that would ever supplement or add to What God provides in Christ because it's complete. So in the development of my character, in my engagement with God and good works and in my pursuit of good standing with God, in my preparation for death and judgment, my service to my family and to people, there is complete provision in Jesus Christ, in who he was and what he did and what he taught. No human supplement is necessary and is an intrusion. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As a member of his church, his body, I can continue in the faith and enjoy sufficiency and abundance and completeness of spiritual blessing. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Questions or comments? Why was Paul... So concerned about all this, so worked up. What was this anxiety that Paul had about the people in Colossae? Verse 4 Now, this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. In the ESV, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. This is Paul's purpose. This is a statement of his noble anxiety. He doesn't want anyone to be deceived about what they have in Christ and what they need to hold on to. He doesn't want anyone to be deceived about any of that. There is this danger that we need to be serious about of being deceived by persuasive words. We're going to talk about what that means. One method used by the devil is to carefully put words together that sound so good. As soon as you hear those words, as they are framed and put together and delivered, it seems plausible. Well, that has to be true. There's such a ring to it. It just sounds so good the way those words have been put together. When the devil applied himself to the destruction of Adam and Eve, he didn't just say, hey, go sin, forget God. He said, have you seen this? Doesn't this look great? Want to taste The devil has a way of putting words together and framing phrases and so forth to make it so attractive. The devil would be great at writing marketing narratives for ad companies today. That's what the devil does. That's one of his wiles. When the devil applied himself to the destruction of Jesus Christ, when the devil tempted Jesus Christ, he didn't say, Christ, just give it all up and uh, walk away from God. He used persuasive, carefully selected words, but he failed because Jesus had some other words. What words did Jesus have? Had God's words that had been written. That's exactly right. The devil uses persuasive words. The devil's operatives are wordsmiths. They can put words together that just sound so good. But they're so wrong. Words may sound good, but what's missing may be truth. The words may sound good. They may be delivered very smoothly, but what's missing may be truth. Has this ever happened to you? You hear some religious teacher state his case, and it just sounds great. Before you ever try to verify it with Scripture or anything, it just... The the way he sounded the way those words were selected. You hear some religious teacher and it just sounds good. The words are put together so well, the arguments seem to be compelling. There is an attractiveness about it always. There may be great emotional impact in what he says and how he says it. And so you're listening to this teacher or preacher and your first impression is, well, this just sounds good. Then you open the Bible, and what he says isn't here. It's persuasive. It was well-worded. It was delivered in a fine way to get my attention, and it sounded attractive. But then I opened the book, and it wasn't there. I got an even better idea. Just open the book every day and read the Bible, and you'll be able to detect when persuasive deceptive words come your way now I'm still gonna recommend when you hear plausible arguments, you go to the Bible but really what we all need to be doing is reading our Bibles every day and filling our minds with God's truth so that when the counterfeit intrudes we know it's a counterfeit we know it right away now there are warnings like this (coughs) all through the New Testament I'd like to mention a couple of them I don't have time, it appears, to uh, give you all these references, but I want to mention a couple of them. In Ephesians 4 and verse 14, listen please. Ephesians 4 and verse 14. So that you may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness. ...and deceitful schemes. See, we have to be careful because the words may be put together in such a way that it just seems so attractive. Romans 16, 17, and 18. Romans 16, 17, and 18 will be good for us. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles... Contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught, avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naïve. You hear that? By smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naïve. So here we are in Colossians 2 and verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. You've heard me say this many, many times. A man may be a very good speaker and have a charming presence and be eloquent in his use of the language. And your first impression m- might be this must be true. It sounds so good. Search for the Scriptures daily to find out if what you're hearing is the truth, Acts 17, 11. So, Colossians 2, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Let's get to verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith, in Christ Have you ever heard this expression or maybe you have used this expression you can't be in two places at one time you can't be in two places at the same time yet here is a case where you can be at two places at the same time if not physically in unity of purpose if not physically in unity of purpose now we'll we'll see what paul says about that but you could illustrate that in your circumstance do you know christians outside of this building do you know christians outside of hidalgo county outside of texas that you are not with you'd like to be with them but you're not with them right now but you're united with them in faith and purpose and hope and joy you consider them to be your brothers and sisters in Christ and when you have opportunity to communicate with them it is about those things that you share in common the faith the hope the joy so you're at two places but in a sense You are one. You're united in purpose. Paul would have loved to have been in Colossae. And to to go over and visit Laodicea and the other cities in that little area. He'd love to be with those Christians physically. That not being possible, he said, I'm united with you in purpose. Now, that would be consoling to Paul to write that. Can't be there, but I'm not going to be uh, hounded by that because I know that I'm united with you in purpose. And then on the receiving end, for those in Colossae and Laodicea, it would be of great comfort to them to know that their teacher, the apostle of Christ, Paul, was thinking about them and wrote this letter and was concerned about their circumstance. Two other phrases in verse 5 I'd like to bring up and give some brief attention to. Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. I want to spend just two or three minutes talking about those two phrases. And then we will get to our takeaways here in just a moment. Their good order... In the New Testament, that word order is used a number of times. And when you look up the origin of that word, the background behind that word, it is a word that has a military connotation. You men who were in the military and the rest of you who know something about how the military works know that a lot about the military can be described by the word order. And then when you think about order, you think of discipline. And you think of care. Those are the concepts that surround this word order. And your order ought to be good. It implies that through your submission to Jesus Christ in your life, there's good order and discipline. And then secondary to that, it implies that if your life is in good order and discipline because you live under the captain's orders, and somebody else has a life that's in good order and discipline because they follow the orders of the same captain, you're going to be united. And in the local church, there's going to be good order. And that would make Paul happy. Paul wasn't happy that there were false teachers circulating in Laodicea and Colossae. He was was upset about that, and he was writing to give a response to that. But he's happy about the fact that within that church in Colossians, in Colossae, there is good order. They're living under the authority of God of the captain some people in religion today i think seem to have the idea that what we must do is reject all order and just be spontaneous some of you who travel know that the fact that you find a building and it says church of christ it says all the things you're looking for on the outside and sometimes you go inside and it is the most disorderly, confusing thing you've ever seen. Spontaneous and, and it's, it's just not, not ordered well. It doesn't seem like they have it all together. The way we can have it all together and have good order is to follow the orders of the captain. And there can be in our lives and in our local work and our fellowship, there can be good order. And Paul says, that sure makes me happy. I rejoice to see your good order. And then second, there is this phrase, the firmness of your faith in Christ. The firmness of your faith in Christ implies that there could be faith that is unfirm, (laughs) non-firm. I'm just making words up, right? Right? I'm wanting you to get the idea of a faith that isn't firm. It is, it is wavering. It's really not attached to the Word the way it ought to be. You've heard some things here and you've heard some things here and you call all that your faith, but it's not really firm. It's not attached to the Word of God. It doesn't have good mooring, not firm. And Paul says about the people in Colossae that he is rejoicing. I'm absent in the body. I can't be there physically, but I'm with you rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Remember, there was this man, Epaphras, Paul's fellow servant. You remember we talked about him back in chapter one. He had apparently conveyed to Paul the good things that were going on in the local church in Colossae. Their faith wasn't weak or ill-founded or misdirected or or fading. Paul rejoiced that their faith had some good, solid background to it. it. It had good attachment to the foundation. And that's what we need to have. Let me read this section, and then we're going to go to our takeaways. For I want you to know... How great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say that in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Questions or comments as we come to the end of this section, Colossians 2 verses 1 through 5. Yes, sir. That's right. It's 1 Corinthians 14. And we will come to 1 Corinthians 14 later in our sermon series that we're doing this year, preaching through 1 Corinthians. Robin was giving us a plug and reminder about all that. But it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And on the subject of good order... And that God, as Robin says, is not the author of confusion. That whole section in the middle of 1 Corinthians develops that and works from that premise. In chapter 12, 13, and 14, we already know the church in Corinth was troubled. It was disordered. It was really disordered from the chapter that we started with in chapter 1 through chapter 4. We saw how disordered they were. And we're going to see that again next Sunday in chapter 5. So that's where that statement comes from. God is not the author of confusion. So if we are confused and floundering around and there's no good discipline and no good order and reverence has been lost, God didn't do that. God didn't do that. Man does that. Very good reference for us to have about all this. What else do you see in Colossians 2, 1 through 5 you'd like to bring up for a little further discussion? You see what that's all about? Paul's concern was not just, I've got to write a letter. It's Monday. Got to get the parchment out and the stylus. I've got to write a letter. It's my job. No, it was his heart concerned about Christians in Colossae and Laodicea, knowing there were false teachers trying to tell people, you've got Christ, but there's something else you need. No, you are complete in him. You need to be firm in your faith, take your orders from the captain, and things will go well with you. Takeaways. I think I have four of them. May not have time for all of them. We'll do our best to go through them. What we have when truth prevails is verse 2. When truth is embraced and we learn it, live by it, and truth prevails among the people, here's what we have. Hearts encouraged, knit together in love, reaching all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ so if I want what Colossians 2 verse 2 describes I need to get busy and load the truth into my head and cherish it and love it and speak it and pursue it and live by it and as I live by truth and resist false teachers who say there's something else I need, as I live by truth, I have what verse 2 describes. Very important point. Number two, in Christ, I'm going to emphasize this again, God provides all we need. I want to mention again what happens commonly in society. People will agree with you about your loyalty to Jesus Christ. And that may be part of why there is a charm and deception to the temptation that's about to follow. So, oh, I love Jesus too. I believe in Jesus Christ. It's good. I commend you for your loyalty to Jesus Christ. Then what comes next? But I've got something else over here. And if you kind of tack this into your faith, I've got and I've got some secrets that nobody else knows. That's new age religion. I've got some secrets over here, some things you'll do that'll just make it so much better than just having Christ. We need to be very firm when we say to people, no, I have everything I need in Jesus Christ. I am complete in Him. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily." And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. I just read to you from chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. So be aware of that and parents help your children be aware that they're going to be approached someday very likely and the approach will not be immediately critical of Christianity. It'll say, that's great. Keep your Christianity, but there's some other things over here you need to add to it. And inevitably, when they do that, they may say, and there's some other things about Christianity you need to take away. No, don't get into addition and subtraction about what God gave. God gave his Son, and in him we are full. Guard against being deluded with plausible arguments. I want to repeat what I said briefly in the course of the lecture, that the devil is a master at putting words together that sound beautiful. You remember I I suggested to you the devil could write commercials. Some of the words that you hear in the commercials, especially when they're connected to the images, isn't it true that sometimes you just want to go out immediately and buy that cheeseburger? Because the words made it sound so good you could just close your eyes and your mouth would start watering and then the picture of it, nice, juicy cheeseburger. Some of you are getting ready to leave right now. Stay here. Now that's the way the devil operates he is the master marketer he is a wordsmith he can put words together that sounds so good you just think after you hear it well that's just got to be true Paul is warning about that very thing guard against being deluded with plausible arguments and I did make it to number 4 And number four is something I brought up earlier. I'll just go back and mention it again. Firm up your faith and keep your order good. Firm up your faith and keep your order good. Specifically, how can I do that? Daily Bible reading. You knew I was going to say that. How can I firm up my faith and keep my good order under the captain with good discipline? You come here when we have Bible classes, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, five o'clock tonight you can come get your faith firmed up more. All kinds of opportunities are provided by the local church and all kinds of opportunities God hands to you every day where you can firm up your faith and you can have good order as you live your life under the authority of the captain. So, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those that at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this In order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. I want you to come back tonight, but I want you to come back Wednesday night at 7.30. And we'll continue in Colossians 2 and verse... Six. Thank you very much for your good attention to our study today.